Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Bit, but I'm really excited to come back and uh, this be my first Sunday preaching again since I've been on leave. And uh, like at first, you know, you're kind of maybe worried to come back into it and be like, maybe, maybe I'm out of practice or whatever. And then they were like, hey, we're starting Galatians. And I was like, oh, easy. Like we can honestly just read the first chapter and I not say anything else and it be a successful sermon um, because it's so, so strong. Um, but like I said, I've been out because we had a son. His name is Judah. He's the most amazing and beautiful baby in the world. Um, he is perfect in all ways, and he makes noises. So if you hear noises during the service, that's our baby, and babies make noises. Get used to it because Renaissance is going to have like five babies up in this place soon. Um, like as church planners, that's how you grow a church, okay? Like you have kids. That's why the Copelands have so many. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it is joyful to have many children. And as like you have kids, you're like, let's have another one. Um, Dwayne and Rosette say the first one tricks you into having another one. Um, and then you're like, what have we done? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but Renaissance is going to be a, a more and more joyful place as more and more babies start coming. Um, and, and just be ready for the noises that babies bring. Um, and just try to pay attention, try to stay focused. I have severely upped my coffee intake as a new father. Um, it used to just be one cup a day, and I would brag about it. I'd be like, yeah, I'm just a one-cup guy. And then all the dads are like, <laughs> okay. Um, so now I'm at one cup in the morning, um, one in the afternoon, and then a Coke Zero around dinner time. Um, and that's my routine, um, so three intakes of coffee. So if you need coffee this morning, it was hard for me to wake up. It was hard for Stephen to wake up, I know, he said. Grab some coffee. There's a little bit left. Maybe you'll get the last one. We worked through a whole craft before anyone even showed up this morning. So we're killing it. Get some coffee, get some energy in you because this is a strong truth this morning. This is one that maybe is not easy for people to just consume just sitting there like with your eyes kind of half open. You've got to have them all the way up. Today is a strong word. We're starting in Galatians um, with the subtitle of it being called to freedom coming directly from Galatians 5.13, where it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. So we pulled it directly out of Scripture. We don't just make those up and be like, oh, that sounds good. They're based on Scripture. So our call to freedom is based out of Galatians 5.13. And our main idea today is we kind of overview a little of the whole book, but mainly take a deep dive in chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Our main idea is faith in Jesus frees us from a works-based religion. And I'm really excited to start studying this together because, one, it meant that I started studying it again for myself. And I encourage you each week to not just show up on Sunday and be like, okay, I'm going to read Galatians 2 for the first time this week. Like, I encourage you each week. So, this next week, be reading like Galatians chapter 1, or you could start read the whole thing through, get a feel for the whole letter, and then next week, be ready for Galatians 1, verses 11 through the end of it. Um, if you want a good perception, just read 
Galatians 1. But I encourage you to follow along in it. That way you come on Sundays being like, I've been studying that in the Word as well, and the Lord's revealing that to me too. So I encourage you, don't just be people who show up and, and listen to a good word on Sunday, but people who also study along with us as we go. I love Galatians, and um, it's been called by many a declaration of independence of Christian liberty. The great reformer Martin Luther, which, forewarning, there are a few Martin Luther quotes today, if you know anything about this dude. Um, he really loved Galatians. He called Galatians his Catherine Von Bora, which I didn't know this before, but that's his wife's name. Um, he called it that because he said, I am married to Galatians too. Like, it is so strong. And then Leon Morris wrote, Galatians is a passionate letter, the outpouring of the soul of a preacher on fire for his Lord and deeply committed to bringing his hearers to an understanding of what saving faith is. So get ready. It's fire. It is strong. And it is like something that we could read every day for the rest of our lives, and it would be good for us. From the start, Paul tells us by what authority, I'm going to give a little background. He gives us straight from the beginning what authority he writes. Um, he says, I have authority of Jesus Christ himself commissioned me to say these things. And we'll get to more in that as we break down each verse. But before we start, I wanted to really understand the depth and meaning of that. Um, a quote I read this week talking about Paul's authority said, it means that when you read Galatians, you're hearing Christ. An apostle speaks with authority, the message of the one who sent him. Galatians is the very word of the king of kings. Oh, how many of us are tempted to cry out to Jesus for some message, some revelation, or some dream or vision. But we make almost no serious effort to understand the deep things of Scripture the very word of Christ. So I want to preface this this morning as Paul says, I'm an apostle commissioned by Christ. These are his words so often in the weeks. I'm like, Lord, if I could just hear from you this week, do we look in his word first? So let's start there this morning. What we read in Galatians are the words of God. Do we truly want to hear from him today? Do we want to take them seriously or to, into heart? So let's ask as, as we read that the Lord would reveal and teach his word to us. You can go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 1. Um, we'll be in verses 1 through 10. If you're using it on your phone, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It's NLT. Um, that maybe helps you follow along better. It'll be NLT on the screen, and then whatever version you have is cool too. So let's read together. Starting in verse 1, it says, This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group or people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. Getting into it. All the brothers, continuing in verse 2, says, All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Continuing verse 6, Paul writes, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. 
let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. And he finishes with verse 10. This thought, he says, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Let's pray. That's a lot to unpack. God, we lift high you this morning. We sing praises to you, the King of kings who is worthy of it all. God, as we read Galatians 1, 1 through 10, teach it to us. God, would we not mistake the true gospel? God, let, we don't want that curse. We want to know the real and true gospel. Would you preach and teach it this morning? Teach this word to us. And would we desire and have soft hearts to receive this word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to dive in. This is intense this morning, but it's good. In these few verses, we can see three major themes of the letter of Galatians, kind of getting a brief overview of what the whole letter is about. Um, Mainly, we see the source of authority in religion, um, the doctrine of grace, which we'll touch on heavily today. um, And we see the promise of full deliverance from sin's power. Um, And they're all tied together in a way that relates solely to the sovereign and gracious will of God in such an amazing way that I could never write. That's how Galatians is simply broken up in three parts, like chapters 1 and 2 and then 3 and 4 and then 5 and 6, kind of in those ways. But to understand this first part better, and I challenge you as you study Scripture on your own, ask simple questions. Like the who, what, when, where, and why that you're taught as a kid to examine, like, whatever first book you start with. Mine was the Hank the Cow Dog or whatever it's called. Anyone read that one or am I just weird? Yeah, come on, Brock. Brock knows what that is. He was an awesome dog who had cow adventures, farm adventures. But you have to ask those questions to unpack it, right? It's very American for those in the room who don't know. It's a very American book. But I encourage you as you read those scripture, this, read scripture, ask the same questions. So as we look at this, we say, Why? Why is Paul writing a letter to this church? Why is he saying these things? Why did he even bother? And why does Galatians have such a more serious tone than the other letters we read from Paul? So then by answering those questions and reading, we can assume, not in a bad way, some of you are maybe taught the thing about like what happens when you assume. That doesn't happen today. We can assume in a good way um, that by what Paul's saying, we can assume that people are spreading and teaching a false gospel to the churches in Galatia, which what we know today is modern-day Turkey. Um, and, like, there's a debate whether it's the north or the south part of Turkey. You guys can debate that after service. It really doesn't matter for, like, the presentation of the gospel here. It's somewhere to the churches in Turkey. And so these people are teaching a false gospel that claims you need to work and earn your salvation is most likely following a traditional Jewish customs or traditions model that a lot of the people um, who were introduced to Christianity first were the Jewish people. Um, Because up until now, the gospel was mainly taken to the Jews. And Paul is like the catalyst and forerunner for taking the gospel to the Gentiles, which when we say Gentiles, if you're not of Jewish descent in this room, like myself, we're Gentiles. Um, it just basically means not Jewish. Um, so that's all of us, most likely. Um, and so Paul's the first one that really takes it to the Gentiles, teaching that the gospel is for 
everyone, not just for the Jews. So these false teachers are claiming that Paul taught them wrong. They're claiming that Paul lacks authority. Maybe they're using the reasoning because he wasn't the, one of the 12 disciples that actually spent time with Jesus as he walked. They claim that Paul is trying to please people with his gospel. So basically what these people are saying, they're saying we're okay, maybe, with the fact that people who are not Jewish can be Christians. They're like, okay, maybe we're okay with that. But they at least need to look like us. They need to look good and do good things like us. I don't know about you, it sounds awfully familiar and a lot of how people view people coming to Christianity. They're adding conditions to the gospel, and Paul is absolutely not okay with it. And we should not be either. Paul combats these worries or arguments in this letter. In verses 1 through 10, he wastes absolutely no time saying, no, this is the truth. So let's break them down verse by verse and really understand what Paul has for us this morning, what the Lord had to say through Paul. And in verse 1, he simply says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. By adding the word apostle, Paul highlights his claim to be commissioned by Jesus to preach the gospel with authority. Whereas they're probably making the claim, you're not one of the original 12. Paul's like, "Uh, I was still commissioned by Jesus Christ himself when I was made blind and then I could see. And he said, go preach the gospel. And when we use the term apostle, the one Paul is using here um, just simply means those commissioned by Christ as bearers of the gospel. Not necessarily ones that spent actual time with him as he walked on the earth, but those commissioned by Jesus himself as bearers of the gospel. Paul says his authority from the start is from Jesus Christ himself, absolutely no one else. He says, so listen and trust it. He said, I'm not coming in the name of someone else. I'm not coming in the name of saying, oh, you guys know Peter. I'm coming in his name under what he says is good or under John's name and what what he teaches. He's like, no, I come under the name of Jesus Christ and what he teaches. Paul also uses this proof of authority to already start preaching the good news. He's not simply using it to argue that he is a great preacher and has all this authority. He's like, no, I'm going to use this now to start teaching the gospel When he says, but Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead, he's already teasing, saying, hey, hey, I have this authority, and this is the gospel that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I'm appointed by him. And he wastes no time getting into it because maybe you're like me and you read like the first couple chapters of a book and then it kind of sits on your shelf until someone else says, hey, here's another book. You should read it, Um, which like I get handed books constantly. Um, But like me, he's like, here, I'm going to waste no time getting into it. I know Wesley struggles in reading books too. We bond in that. And he's like, I'm going to get into it from the start so you don't miss it. This is the gospel. And he gets into it and he continues in verse 2. He says, the brothers and sisters here, join me in sending this letter to you churches. The brothers and sisters that he's talking about probably most likely went with Paul on his missionary journey there where the churches were established. Like we can definitely assume that they know who these people are. So they're like, okay, so they're supporting Paul in this too. Like we trust them. We trust Paul. They support the true good news. Not this fake one is what Paul's saying. It's not just me saying this. And then in verse 3 he continues. 
May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I read a great, great quote in a commentary this week. Um, Because if you notice, Paul always starts his letters to churches like that with grace and peace. Normally, Paul alters the traditional Greek, Greek, Greek greeting. Say that five times fast. Hey, he did it. The word is charin, sharin. Whoever speaks Greek can tell me how to pronounce that after. But it's a verb, and Paul usually changes it into the important Christian word for grace, known as charis, which is a noun, charis, charis. Look, I know how to spell it. And Paul does this not by accident. He doesn't just say, oops, I spelled it wrong. Like Paul's very intentional in his writing, changing this traditional Greek greeting to one of the Christian importance and faith of grace. And it's not by accident, especially in this letter. In a letter to churches where the sufficiency of salvation by grace was being questioned and maybe even denied. And in the same way, peace which is the Greek equivalent used here as the word shalom in Hebrew, is also especially appropriate because it expresses a state of favor and well-being which are brought to us by Christ's death on the cross and kept by God's persevering grace. So Paul immediately starts with grace and peace and how fundamentally important they are for the true good news. It's not by accident. He wants them to understand from the start the necessity for grace and peace in the gospel. And he continues from that in verse 4 as we continue to break it down. He says, here's the gospel. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God the Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world. Immediately jumps into it. Like, you know, you when you write someone a letter, you're like, dear so-and-so, Oh, life has been good. I've been doing these things. Paul's like, no, this is who I am. This is the authority. This is the gospel. Like, no no welcoming, like, hey, how y'all doing? Like, just into it. He says, this is the good news. Jesus gave his life for our sins, and God planned it. It wasn't an accident. He planned it from the very beginning. So that God could rescue us from this evil world, which is made evil because of sin, which are sin. And then you, all, and you might ask, ask a question as you're reading along. Well, why would God do that? Paul answers immediately in verse 5, with all glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Starts with the gospel. Ends with this is why he did it. And then he continues to write more. But we cannot pass up the fact that right after he shares the gospel from the start, he follows it with why God did what he did in verse 5. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Not man. Not works. Because Paul understands and what we need to understand is when we try to earn salvation, we take the glory away from God. That's a hard word to hear. When we try to earn salvation, when we try to work and be good enough for it, we take glory away from God and we place it on ourselves and what you and I can achieve. And this is why Paul is so serious from the start. Because he says, you're taking glory from God and all glory to God forever, not to you and me. We are not worthy of the glory, but to Christ 
That's why he's so shocked in verse 6. He's probably writing it, just shaking his head, going, oh my goodness, I'm so shocked. He said, I'm so shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself. This great quote on salvation. It says, salvation begins in the eternal counsels of God. It is a matter of his will and not of the will of man. As Paul says elsewhere in Romans 9, 16, it does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. That's why Paul is so shocked. He's like, why would you abandon this true good news of how God pursues you and your sin and accept one of you trying to work for it, which you never could? Why are we like that? Paul's like, why? And to understand it better, I read this, it says, it's not merely that they have deserted an idea, the churches in Galatia have deserted an idea or a movement, rather they have deserted the very one who called them to this faith. The one is God the Father. This part, it says, embracing legalism, which is trying to work to earn salvation, embracing legalism means rejecting God, according to Paul's reasoning, because it means substituting man for God in one's own life. That's why Paul calls it a fake gospel. We are not worthy to be substituted for God. That's why Paul says in verse 7, he says, it's not good news at all. Depending on how your translation writes it, we can understand that the word he's saying, it's, it's a counterfeit, it's a pretender gospel, it's fake and I kind of had this thought this week. Has anyone been to someone's like apartment or home and they had like a bowl of fake fruit on the counter? Yeah, my great-grandmother had a bowl of fake grapes that each one of the grandchildren tried to eat at some point. And like the, it was missing a few grapes. But so like I, I started getting this picture. I never understood that. Like just get real fruit. Like why are we so afraid to have real fruit? Like it's going to go bad. We'll eat it and then get more fruit. Like it's good for you. But similarly as the bowl of fake, fake fruit, I think like we have it on the counter because maybe it looks good in the kitchen or in the living room. And this bowl of fake green apples, usually that's the one I see. It looks so good and I'm just a health king because I have a bowl of 20 fake apples and, and, and everyone thinks I'm so healthy. Um, but like it's actually fake. As soon as someone picks it up, they're like, why do you have fake apples? You're not healthy, you liar. And they open your cabinet and they see a jar of Nutella and they're like, yeah, you're not healthy. It's fake, it has no nourishment, it's empty, and it's a lie. That's why Paul says here, it's fake, it's counterfeit. It's a bowl of fake fruit. It makes you look good, makes you feel good, but as soon as people see, it is absolutely fake. And it is empty, and you will be starving, and you will have no nourishment. The King James Version translates the passage like this. I enjoy it, which usually it's very hard for me to read King James as I uh, don't speak in that form of English. But I like how it translates it here. It uses the word, it says, unto another gospel, which is not another. That's how it translates it there. It says, unto another gospel, which is not another. So it's accurately reflecting the difference between two distinct ancient Greek words used here, which I'm not going to try to pronounce them. 
Um, but with different, it has the idea of another of a different kind. So when you use the word different, it's like there's another one, but it's completely different. It's not the same like this. Like it is so different. But some translations, it uses like a, the word another, which kind of has the connotation of another of a, a same kind maybe. But how Paul wrote it accurately in the Greek is like they brought you a completely different gospel that claims it is just an alternative gospel of the same kind. But Paul says it is not. It is altogether different. You can't even classify it in the same ballpark. It is different. And this is what Paul has to say about this different and fake good news and what he says about the severity of teaching it. Verse 8, he clearly and plainly says, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or an angel, who preaches a different kind of good news. Paul's like, if I even, if I even preach something different, or a power from heaven, an angel from heaven even preaches something different, He says, let them be cursed. And we can see it's the same word Paul uses in Romans 9, 3, where he says, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ. So Paul is saying, if someone preaches a fake gospel, a different one, if I preach a different one, anyone else teaches you a different gospel, let them be cut off from Christ. And you might think, man, how could Paul say these things? That's... Where's the love? Where's, like, how could he be so harsh? But I want us to understand that this is not in the slightest harsh. Paul understands the severity of the situation, and we in the room must as well. If anyone teaches a fake gospel, a false good news, anything different, we are actually leading people away from Christ. We are leading people to be cut off from him, trying to earn the salvation, and we are then leading ourselves to be cut off. And this is serious because the gospel must be rooted in Jesus Christ and salvation through him alone. Paul's not kidding around, and we shouldn't either. We can't keep lying to ourselves and be like, oh, it's okay, it's a little wrong, but, you know, no, this is severe. So you might ask, well, we keep talking about the true good news, and he keeps saying the true good news. Well, what even is the true good news? I got the answer for you, and it's going to be found in Galatians. Crazy, right? So we're going to use what Paul has to say in Galatians as he defends the true good news to understand what he says the true good news is. So you can follow along. The verses will be on the screen. It'll be quick. And then there'll be a slide that you can write them down. Um, If you just want to have a reference for yourself, like, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to be cut off from Christ. Write these verses down. This is a nice, unpacked explanation of the good news. Starting in Galatians 2.16, Paul writes, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith, and Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will be made right with God by obeying the law. Verse 21 of chapter 2, Paul says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, though, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. 
And in chapter 3, verse 19, he says, why then was the law given? He says it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. It points out that we are sinful. And then in verse 22 of chapter 3 says, But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only, only, church, by believing in Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, 9 through 10, he also writes, So now that you know God, and I love this, he says, Or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. The last one in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. I encourage you, take a look at the slide of the list of scriptures that we use. Write them down as a reference because this is the gospel. This is the true good news. Paul unpacks it from the start. We have sin. We have something that separates us from God. We choose to define right and wrong in our lives. And we have created separation from God. And it has broken us and broken our relationship. But Jesus, as Paul writes, lived a sinless life. And gave that life on the cross, paying the price of our sin, mending the relationship to purchase our freedom, as Paul writes. And by faith in him, we are saved. By faith in him, we have forgiveness of sin. By faith in him, we are brought near to God and not by anything we could ever do or earn. Church, he has set you free, Paul says, so stay free. Church, do not believe anything but those words. They're not mine. I'm not pulling them up on my own. They're literally straight from Galatians. As Paul says, this is the true good news. They're the Lord's words to you this morning. And do not accept anything else. There's this, drop another Martin Luther quote in here on you. This one, it says, To be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. And Stephen and Juan and I were talking this week in discipleship is they get a little sneak peek usually when I'm preaching because like we talk about what the Lord's teaching us. And obviously he's teaching me this scripture and we kind of talked about that quote and why it's so hard for us to accept grace freely and peace with God. Because I fight with myself and I'm like, I do not deserve this. But I've done this. Like, God, I've done this. And then I lie to myself and say, okay, well, if I just do a little better and then I'll be worthy of, of what Christ has called me to. But really I'm lying to myself so I can feel better about what I've done instead of just accepting that Christ has paid it on the cross for me because that hurts my heart. I'm like, I, I can't let him carry it because he didn't deserve it. And Jesus says, you're right. But that's grace and peace. And I offer it this to you. Can we accept it this morning, church? Can we just say, I am broken and sinful and dirty and wrong, and I can't earn it. And it hurts me that I had to put you on the cross, Jesus, but you took that place willingly. 
And I don't have to do better to get to this place to come to you, that this gospel is offered freely. And it's so hard for us to accept that. That's why we create the fake gospel. But church, I promise you, hear this this morning. By faith, you have been saved. His grace is enough for you and me. Do not believe anything else. You are not too far gone. You are not too sinful or broken. Do not believe those lies. You don't have to get better or try harder before you come to him. He offers you forgiveness from your sins and peace with him by grace and grace alone. Please hear those words. Please come to him. His grace is more than enough for you. This is the true good news. I want to close with what Paul has to say in verse 10 because I think it's a nice summation and kind of commission for us as we go. He says in verse 10, obviously, I love the strong word, obviously, but not in a mean way like we would use it, one of like trying to convey the truth. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people because that's the claim they're making as Paul is trying to win approval of people by saying the gospel's for everyone and by grace. He's like, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be a servant of Christ. Like he's kind of countering their argument with like, if I'm trying to please people, wouldn't I just agree with you? Wouldn't I just be like, okay, they're right. Let's all get along. But Paul's like, no, I'm not trying to please people because instead of bending to what you're saying, I'm going to Christ and saying, this is what is true. I serve Christ, not what pleases man. And a lot of people will try to use that verse of scripture to be like just jerks all the time. And that is not at all what Paul is saying here. A lot of Christians will try to take that and then they'll go into their works and their marketplaces and just be like, well, I'm not trying to please people. I please God. It is pleasing to God to love people. Do we know that? Like it is pleasing to him to serve people because because, uh, he says the greatest among you must what? Be a servant. It's one of the scriptures we're learning. Juan and Stephen and I are encouraged. Um, them, keep asking them what they are learning. We have to keep that in mind. We can't just be jerks. But Paul's more importantly saying, I don't cater the gospel to what man wants. I don't cater it to what makes you feel good. I serve Christ. And we proclaim the one and only true gospel. Preaching the good news, this is, this is true, preaching the true good news is offensive to many people. And you've probably experienced this. As you share Jesus with people in your life, sometimes people get upset. And maybe they want to argue with you, they get frustrated. And this is why. I, I, this really helped me understand why the gospel, the true good news, is offensive. And why people want to pervert it. Because number one, the gospel offends our pride. If you know anything about us, we're very prideful. It offends our pride. It tells us we need a savior, that we need saving, Oh, that we can't save ourselves. That's so anti, like living in the moment and now, you can do it, right? It tells us we need a savior. 
And deep down, like, honestly, we know that. Like, we get to a place where we're like, I wish that something could just pull me out of this hole I'm in. But we're like, I guess I just got to pull myself out. No, the gospel teaches you need a savior. It gives no credit to us at all for salvation. It is all the work for Jesus, all the work of Jesus for us. Also, the gospel offends our wisdom or what the world claims is wise because scripture teaches us that what the wise call foolish, God calls wise. It offends our wisdom. It saves us by something many consider foolish. God becoming man and dying a humiliating and disgraceful death on our behalf. Thirdly, the gospel, it offends our knowledge. It tells us to believe something which goes against scientific knowledge and personal experience. That a dead man, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead in a glorious new body that would never die again. That's why it's offensive. It asks us to give a lot of ourselves to say, okay, I trust you. But that's the true gospel. I pray that you accept it. I pray that you stop trying to earn it this morning because it has been given to you by Jesus. And how could we end the sermon but with another great quote from Martin Luther, right? And if you don't know anything like the whole Protestant Reformation, um, which is like why we kind of get to sit in this room and and read the word like we do and and like have Protestant churches, um, Martin Luther used like Galatians. It was his thing that he was like, this is why the church, the Catholic church is wrong right now because Galatians this, because Galatians this, because Galatians this. So bear with us as we go through the series. There will be several of his quotes, because I'm telling you, this dude knew Christ. Martin Luther had an intimate relationship with the Lord, and he understood freedom and grace. And this is what he had to say about Galatians 1. And think about it. Think about it. I think it's going to be on the screen. Did Christ die, or did he not die? Was his death worthwhile, or was it not? If his death was worthwhile, it follows that righteousness does not come by the law, by your works. Why was Christ born anyway? Why was he crucified? Why did he suffer? Why did he love me and give himself for me? It was all done to no purpose if righteousness is to be had by the law. Ooh, I read that this week and just kind of sat and looked at it and I was like, gosh when I put myself at the center of the gospel trying to do better to get there trying to earn to this place to where maybe I'll hear from God the next day because I did better today I'm putting myself there and I'm saying Jesus suffered for nothing his life was for nothing his resurrection was for nothing Because I'm still trying to work it myself. Rest in the freedom of the truth of the good news church. The freedom of the gospel is that you don't have to earn it. Is that you don't have to be the person that did it and got it done. That Christ offers it to you and that he pursued you in your sin. And while you were still sinners, Christ gave himself for you. Find freedom in that church. 
And if you've heard the good news multiple times in your life, the true good news, and you have given your life to Jesus, just, just as much for you. And you know it. You know it sitting in the room. i got to preach this to myself constantly because here I am in the week having maybe neglected my quiet time with the Lord, and then I get to this place and I'm like, okay, I'll do better today, so and then tomorrow I'll have a good day, and then I'll hear from the Lord some more, and then I can be used by him, and then I'll be able to share the gospel if I actually get my act together. And it's like, that is not the gospel. He says, immediately run to me, drop everything and submit and say, I'm sorry, Lord, I made it about myself. You preach the gospel to yourself continually. Continually submit to it because we like to make ourselves the center. It is for you this morning. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never put your faith in him, maybe you've heard the gospel, but maybe this time you're, you're really, it's really speaking to you. And I pray that it is. I encourage you that it is, it is just as much for you in this room as it is for those who have given their life to Jesus 10 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, it is for you. And none of us are more perfect than you, I promise you. Like if you went and had coffee with one of us, you would be like, they are broken like me. They are sinful like me. And that's why the gospel is for each one of us, not just those who do good or can look a certain way, but it's just as much for anyone that steps through that front door as the next. Let it be enough for you today. Let it be enough for you. I pray that you accept it, that you give your life to Jesus, that you ask him to come into your heart and to save you because we need a savior, to be the enough that you could never be. I pray that you make that decision today. Let me pray for us as the the band comes. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl@gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.